Yo, what it do, what it do, good people. This is your boy, Gelly Gel. This is Common Conversation. And I got my good friend across the table. What's up, Missy? Hey, friends. Yeah, she said, hey, friends. Doesn't that just make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? <laughs> I gotta love doing the podcast with Missy. It is so great. And y'all don't know, she's actually the host and the co-host of my own show. So it's our show now. It is. Right? This is a show all about equity, uh, building opportunity, learning about people who are facing the challenges of this life um, and not uh, segregating them. Right. And, exactly. and and not putting them in disparity, um, not throwing them in jail because we understand that our penal system is all about the money um, because the government is all about trafficking people. But that's not this topic for the day. I mean, it's always the topic of the day. It's always a topic of the day because this is common conversations. And we talk about everything under the table from the time you lost your virginity, from the time you made a million dollars. We're going to put it on the table. We're going to talk about it. We got a dope guest in the room. I think this conversation might be the best one I've done all year. And mm. I've done quite a few and I've listened to quite quite a few, but I'm just, you know, I'm enamored by the the, the mouthpiece. If she'll let me say that today, she might smack me later. Um, that's that's going to spew out some knowledge and some wisdom. But other than that, Missy, what you been up to? I mean, telling the truth every day. That's what we're here. That's what we're here for, telling the yeah. truth? Whose truth are we telling? I'm hoping everybody's truth. Hopefully. And the, the truth right. that is not getting told. So a friend of mine in college once told me, once after we got in trouble and did something that was illegal, um, didn't know it was illegal at the time that I did it, I just knew it was wrong. Um, when he got caught, he looked at me and we were going up against the board to whether we were going to get to stay in school or not. I mean, he looked at me dead in my face and said, uh, your truth and my truth are two different things. Okay. So I mean, well, and there's so much wisdom there. I think that that probably in the moment he was trying to to tell you you're going down, but... (laughs) True story. um, But... I, the hope here is that we're learning everyone's truth so we can really tell the full story about Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana. So if people are listening, you don't know where Southern Indiana is because I'm confused by that too when I live here. It's uh, Florida and Clark County. It's, it's it's these spaces that we call New Albany, Jeffersonville, Clarksville, Charlestown. Um, and and w- it spills into Scott County, which mm-hmm. is which is um, Scottsburg and Austin? Austin. Not to be mistaken with Austin, Texas. Um, and we could know. even include Corden in that, I guess, and, and Salem. Um, and if yeah. you really want to Go more deeper southeast is Madison, right? Yes. And believe it or not, people, even though there were KK KKK rallies in in 2016 and 2017 in Madison, there are black people that live in Madison. They stay well hidden. I understand. Um, <laughs> I know a few. <laughs> you just move a rock, they crawl out of a cave, they go to work, and then they go back. That these are really bad jokes. And you know, if you listen to Common Conversations, you know the show. I, dudes, I do what I do. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. What's next? Oh, next we are going to talk with one of my friends who. I am very honored to work alongside Chanel Helm. Hey, y'all. Hey, friends. She said, hey, y'all. I know, right? Chanel, where are you from? I'm originally from Indianapolis, but I've lived majority of my life in Louisville. And so, uh, yeah, you pick up that draw, but you also got that, what is it, Midwestern, whatever. You got that Midwestern, Northern, Southern swing. Uh, yes, exactly. Because Indianapolis is part of the Midwest. I grew up in Ohio, and we don't have accents. Do you feel me? I've developed one a little bit now that I'm here because we can mimic people's stuff. But and Indianapolis doesn't think that they don't either. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely do. Yeah, true mm-hmm. story. Okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They still the South. They just, they just try not to be. They don't know. They think they up north. They what well, we say up east type people. That's exactly who they think they are. <laughs> I, and my family acts like that. So that's where y'all hear this animosity in my voice. <laughs> Let's get it. Welcome to the party. So Chanel, so for the for listeners, so I 
do work with Chanel with the Louisville Community Bail Fund. I am the mm-hmm. intern coordinator for the group. And Chanel, tell us about, well, tell us about the group, but also because that's how I know you. But you are a thousand things other than that. You are all things to all people. So let's talk about that. That part. But I just love how Missy just underwrote like what she does for the Louisville Community Bail Fund. She strategically partnerships with white folks and how white folks can get involved in very much change agent abolitionist work. Really does some dope ass. Can we cuss? Mm-hmm. You just did. Okay. How, how you gonna cuss? Here, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna help you out. Say that. Can we cuss? Can we cuss? I know, right? <laughs> Look, it's, it's, yes, you can. I'm gonna hit the beat, but it's never on time. Know, right? Never, never. <laughs> so, um, and in, in rapid response, gets together our jail support, which is very, very much important because people do not know how dangerous it is when protesters are arrested, but also what that means for people who are already inside. So, we are very thankful for Missy and her interruption to her white cousins. So, mm, it's been fun. Mm, thank you, friend. You're welcome. <laughs> I am a community organizer and have been most of my life, but when it became time for the movement, I didn't know I was in the movement because I was a victim of police terrorism, is what we call it now. And it was a real tragic event because those people went on with their power to actually take someone's life that did garner media attention, that got my case, you know, dismissed and expunged all in the same day, stuff you don't hear about. So you knew something was going on. And I just felt like I needed to do something from 18 on, I felt like that thing was to make sure I would go to school, be a teacher, and then um, the political education piece, the actual like political science piece. What does it look like getting the right people into offices, making the right laws and stuff? So I volunteered a lot because I did not want to get paid for campaigns. I just felt like that showed some type of bias. But if I volunteered, it's not necessarily me saying I endorse this campaign, but I was learning and I wanted to make sure I knew all the ropes. And I'm like, uh, what's her, is her name Janine? The lady that sat in the window on In Living Color. Don't give me the baby. Yes. Let's go. Looking. It's Benita. Her name is Miss Benita. And she sit up in her window and she's like, look, you ain't heard it from me. But, and just tell you all the business, but you ain't heard it from me. And so I love being in that space because there are a lot of backroom stories that go down around what happens with community organizing, what happens with building community power and speaking about things that are innately wrong and give other people privilege, whether they know it or not, um, and make have nots out of people who did not ask for that treatment whatsoever. And so I work predominantly in my community. I'm a community person of um, mothers that are single, also a community person in the West End of Louisville. Um, My family has always been from the West End since they migrated from the middle of Kentucky. I remember we from the South, so we ain't got no great migration stories, but we do have stories of leaving historical breeder slave plantation areas and and coming into the city and, and doing better for yourself. And then also just what it means to like have family and want your family to do well and have those supports. So those are the main things that are very hopeful for the West End. But what we do see is over-policing. And that just doesn't mean that it comes from the police. It comes from people who then act like the police, report to the police. How we want people to even walk down the street, what we want to see and how we want people to live is also policing. Um, And that's where that whole term Karens come from, really thinking that they're going to tell somebody how they need to move through the world. But I think uh, something we were talking about beforehand was like, what do our community members look like? They look like community organizers. There's a guy named Marx and he talks about mutual aid and what's so fallacious about so many people just looking up to Marx is he stole a lot of that information from black and brown 
countries and nations about how they just live in community with each other, um, how they have, you know, either it's a maternal power structure or a paternal power structure, but it's not a white supremacist or a white paternalistic structure. It's a structure in which there's a respect, innate respect, regardless of how old you are and how you're to perform in your community. And then what you can do for support and resources. Um, many of those communities being very much first world and not developing world, we don't say that. It's first world folks. So very much native, praising the land, utilizing the land in the way that it was supposed to be and how they still manifest support for themselves even when things get dire. Mainly colonialism and imperialism. Um, imperialism means being taken over by the state in a military faction. And so we utilize that every day. And I just really call it the cup of sugar effect, right? If I need a cup of sugar, I'm going to go to my neighbor and I'm going to ask, mm-hmm. do you have a cup of sugar? Mm-hmm. Well, policing tells us that you don't know the people in your neighborhood. The men in your community are missing. Um, the mothers in your neighborhood are on crack or whatever. And that's just totally fallacious. We are impoverished. We are systemically repressed. And people are doing the best that they can to get by. So they make different systems to make sure that those things happen. And what's crazy is like 2020, people are just like, y'all just made a little mini city. We already existed. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't the fact that there was a mini city here. People have already been functioning in these systems already. And so we knew what to do as soon as the larger system went down. We also knew what to ask for too. So when you say you knew what to ask for, what what what, what did you ask for? We definitely asked for very much truth and transparency and information that was not happening. And we saw that take place all over the world. Um, a lot of nations rushed to it first. Some of the ones that we condemn, I mean, Iran let all their prisoners go so that they did not have this encompassing sub-mini pandemics mm-hmm. that took place in captivity, jails and prisons. We made sure that there was access to medicines and we also made sure that that was something that we asked for immediately because a lot of people do not have access to medicines on a regular basis or without extreme social constructs. And um, we were able to have many of those things that nurses and doctors were telling us. Like, people send me stuff every day. As soon as the pandemic went down, we had I had nurses just telling me what was coming into the hospital, what symptoms they were seeing before, you know, we could really get full reports, any real reports from the federal government we have, um, and then what they were doing about it. And so we would go out and get those vitamins, go out and get those medications that would support the different types of cough, that headache that would come. Um, we made sure all the elders had that medicine. And we would ask too, because some elders can get that prescribed because they don't know or have the money to buy it in stores. So we made sure that they did, if they didn't, we would go ahead and buy it for them. Tylenol, um, Zyrtec, things like that. And we would get the big ones. So going to Costco's and Sam's was a, a, a weekly thing, but I would go like every three days. And even though I'm immunocompromised and somebody who could get sick easily with this particular type of disease, I have asthma and allergies, really bad, chronic. I made sure that I took precautions by just listening to what they were saying could happen if anything was exposed to COVID. So I would wear gloves, me and my daughter. We would wipe down things in the store. We, I wore a mask immediately going out. We had already been sick. We didn't know if we had COVID or not. Um, and when it was time for the shutdown, you know, parents were freaking out. We have moms that we support through their crisis and asking them what they needed. And the best thing for folks, if they didn't know where to go, was just stay inside and we would just buy like their groceries for the entire month, things for all their children. And we were buying necessities. So it wasn't like, I'm going to get you some steak and we're going to do this. 
breakfast. No, we were buying like those big pounds of, of steak and then divvying them up between families. Some large families got an entire um, order. And then with the elders, it was almost like an easier run, but then it was like splitting everything up so that the elders would have, you know, food forever how long they were there. So, I mean, I'm, I'm asked this real quick because, I mean, it's it's fun for me, right? Now, a lot of times I think um, community organizer, right? I'm, I'm thinking Dr. Huey P. Newton, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, but I'm thinking rational, I mean, radical Black Panther mm-hmm. fighting for mm-hmm. Black people. But the reality of it is, is that organizer means you take care of the community. That's and exactly it's not always it race related. It's it's about equity, health equity. It can be race related. It's a result of failed race. It's it's a result of racism. I don't okay. want to say failed race yeah, relations let's go. because that's what white people say, right? They want to be like, oh, this is because this policy, et cetera. This was here before the policy. Thank you. People really forget that timeline. I'm also a historian and a human geographer. So people really forget that timeline in which we start seeing slavery diminish. The legal implications, implications of slavery diminish is because they begin teaching it in white-only universities. Like, nobody's going and letting Black people go to universities except for some nations in Africa that are still established. You see Stellenbosch really dive into what the difference of race is, cutting up Black women's bodies, you know, making this big uh, narrative that now becomes historic for us, that their bodies are denser just because they're darker and they're thicker. Um, You see what happens in Australia where they really break down how you can whitewash Aborigine people by mixing them. That's genocide. That is not like, oh, we can get rid of And people really believe these things. They really actually believe these things. Um, You also see these things take place in traditional nations of color. So India being able to whitewash people with the Aryan nation that was there and knowing that Aryan nations weren't just totally white people. They were just lighter skinned people. And so then you have that conflict that begins back then as well, where you're trying to erase some of the the natural black people of India with some of the lighter skinned people from northern um, the plateaus of Asia and mid-eastern nations. This stuff happens for almost 150 years before Europe even decides to end races, I mean, end uh, slavery in 1804. That put an end to that large slave trade that was going on in the Atlantic Ocean. And we forget that there's different types of slavery. And so the Atlantic slave trade opened up a different type of colonialism and imperialism. And that's what followed the Atlantic slave trade. What happened was this really rampant need for this product, Black people. And so they go in, they make all these faulty deals with other nations who do slavery. Um, It's no longer like the indentured servitude that we have in our head. We went to war. We got your warriors. They do some work for us. You go back or you build space for yourself. We then see this, you know, we've got to compete with these other nations and these goods and services. And so we're making them a part of these plantations. You don't see as many boats go down to the South because they begin giving them this national hood. They begin letting them live. They begin to let them develop in an identity. In the U.S., what would become the U.S., they keep that identity from them because they do not think that they are prepared to take part in an industrial revolution. So then you have, further on down in the 1800s, somebody that everybody loves but is the biggest crook in the world, um, and historically, Abraham Lincoln, who's a lawyer, a property lawyer. And he's making this case that we can no longer have slavery for all these really very heart-filled and fluffy moments, but it's because Black people and these slaves 
are tied to property. So how are you going to move these new property rights that are coming up? And how are people going to be paying for their property? They've been doing it with people. Louisville is one of those states. I mean, this entire area, right? We've got underground railroad stuff going over here. We've got slave auction blocks everywhere. And now you see like our jails begin to get full with enslaved people and some free people who are just moving up and down the waterways, getting sold up and down the river. This became a very dangerous hotspot between St. Louis and Louisville because now we're taking people and we're throwing them in the jail. And this is your savings account. This is the way you're paying off your equity loan for your property back in the 1800s. And a lot of us are still tied to that. And this is why we have problems getting some of the rights that others are able to get underneath the Constitution. And so while he's doing this, he participates in the world war, war to kill off Native Americans. So at the same time, they're taking care of one problem, exterminate. And then at the other time, they're making sure that they can take these bodies and turn them into profitable manifestos for this new currency that's here, this dollar that's becoming powerful. And we begin to see markets really, really be able to move because you're making money off these bodies that are inside your jails. But also, I think to to your point that when you're saying this broken system or the system's broken, this is what the system was meant to do from the from well, the get-go. It's never broken. It's always been the same system. So when you're saying like community organizing doesn't have to be attached to race, but so often the the communities that need help and support an organization, because let's be real, the white community for the most part, we, we have our supports. Uh, it's the entire government. Like everything was built for that. So again, these systems that were created, they're not broken. Oh, they're not broken They're doing exactly all. what they're supposed to do. Doing exactly what they're supposed to do. That's why so many people keep drawing back that policing is the slave catchers. And when you really dive deep into who the slave catchers are, a lot of your wealthy families still profit off of stealing people whether they were free or not, belonged to somebody else, making money off of them, building wealth. So many of the the name that we hear in our governments and and philanthropists or whatever, they all were part of these systems. Um, And that's where their wealth comes from. And I think for poor people, when we think about money, we think about money because we're poor. We think about the cash we can have on hand. We think about savings account. We don't think that money is, we think about cars, things that are very loose and don't really last. We don't think about property. We don't think about owning something that incurs wealth. We just think about those things that we see. These people know what wealth is. Wealth is not going to be something we can build. I mean, when people say they want to build wealth, I don't think they understand that wealth takes place in imperialism. You absolutely have to have the power to take over somebody else to build wealth. Um, And I think a lot of these people who are out here, you know, I'm a wealth builder, do not know what they're absolutely talking about. You might want to get rich and you can get rich. That's going to be awesome. But you are not building wealth. Let me ask you something, because I love that you you segue. We're talking policing. We're talking building wealth. We're we're talking about community organizing. And thank you for that beautiful, like heartfelt table full of goodies and wisdom. I, I, a couple of years ago, I went to um, teach at Ivy Tech. And so I had to, um, you know, go through anytime you're going to go teach. If you don't know, you, you have to do basically a mock class, right? And they give you material to study. And so uh, my background is business management and development. And so the material that I was supposed to study began to read like this. And, and I'm paraphrasing for those who are listening. It's not accurate. I got it somewhere. Maybe I'll share it. So it goes to say that in modern day business, we no longer use the word CEO. Uh, we no longer use the word Word slave master, excuse me. We now use the term CEO. Mm-hmm. We no longer use the term slavery. We now use the term employee. And and so that directly ties. So I, I say that, and then I have to ask you this question because I hear the chambers use this often. And GLI used to use it a lot back in the day when I was on the board, human capital, mm-hmm. right? It, it, is all of this, you know, some people would say this is not the same thing. 
But what do you, what's your thoughts? It's absolutely the same thing. When you say human capital, you are putting a price on the labor that comes off of somebody else. And then you're going to value how much that labor can be. In human resources, you're part of that system. You're valuing how much labor can go into a schedule or how much labor cannot be abused by the employer to do the job that the employer needs to do. And I think examining these billionaires is getting people to understand that there are so many levels to this shit. You have have the CEO and his homies at the top. And sometimes the CEO is just on his own, right? He's got like a steering committee of folks that he has. And sometimes these boards are not just simple, like it's just one board. Those committees are full functioning departments of this corporation. Corporations are many nation states. They are built just like nations, except they do not have any global laws that oversee what they can and cannot do, which is why nations are always fighting corporations and corporations are always winning at anything that they want. Julian Assange, you know, he hacked a few people, he ripped off some people, and a lot of people that we are seeing that he ripped off just happen to be people that hold power. Had he not ripped off people who hold power, he'd just be a regular CEO because that's what they do every day. We do not see those CEOs get in trouble or banks that get in trouble or businesses who rip off people. I mean, like we're still battling telemarketers and stuff and we don't care about that. And that's an entire scam. But he ripped off some very important people. And so Nations is looking for that ass. You know what I'm saying? Had he ripped off us, they'd have been like, well, you know, you should take out the insurance for it. Another scam. <laughs> it's just like, y'all want us to scam on top of the scam to make sure that we not scamming. And and as we we see our, the ex-president go, through what he's going through, you are now seeing that like you can't mix the two. And that's what nations have been trying to make sure that they stay safe, safe face on, not mixing what happens in corporations and what happens in nation states, even though they operate the same way. So, so are our cities, nation states, like our counties, like, you know, Jeffersonville. So we're sitting in New Albany, Indiana, which is an incorporated Mm -hmm. community based on the county. So you have incorporated community and then you have unincorporated community that's governed by two different entities, Mm -hmm. right? But then you have the state, which is also a govern is, is also a government incorporation. Exactly. Okay. You have your nation is the the company. And okay. we'll, and we can do it like this. Your nation is the company. So when we say nation state, we mean the states. And I love this. We just had um, a convening of all the Spark Cities of 2020 uprising in Old Spark City. So St. Louis, Chicago, and Detroit. And it was really beautiful. Um, and one of our folks was like, because we always say this and we know everybody doesn't get it. And it's like good to hear it and slow it down. When we say the state, we are always talking about the government. We are never just talking about the state of Kentucky, the states of Mexico, the states of the United States. We are absolutely always talking about the government. When we specifically mean a state, then we will say the name or we're saying something that only belongs to that state. So when I say nation state, I am talking about a government, a nation that is ran by a government. Not all nations are run by a government. Some are run by a monarchy. Some are run by um, some very first world structures that are really beautiful and very transformative. But when I'm talking about corporations mimicking nation states, I'm going to use the U.S. as that because that's easy to see. So you have the conglomerate, the multi-conglomerate Amazon. Amazon then makes makes these partnerships with these other places that can oversee a lot of the other functions that Amazon has. And I'm not even down here to where they've already asked all these businesses to be a part of this big online pool of finding your goods and services. With a uh, with like the U.S., you have all these states that have agreed to be a part of this nation, but also hold some autonomy over what it is that they can do with the people inside of their state. They're fine with being underneath this incorporation, but my department needs to run the way that 
that I needed to run for this. Within Amazon, so those departments are running how they run and they meet up in whatever way that they can. Their fully functions need different types of human capital to piece that out. And so they they have multi-level departments. It's the same way with a state. The state has very different municipalities that take part in different pieces. You have the sheriff's department, you have the court system, you have people who oversee the real estate in that state and what property is is being done with. So all those different pieces, and it makes up this fully government of the state, the same way that Amazon does with a certain department. Google does the same thing, and they have somebody at Google who helps people understand how it takes place. Underneath those different entities is then where you have the workers again, right? You got your clerks, you got your different people and stuff. The same way that Amazon does, you have your different HR directors for different parts of those departments. As you get smaller, then you have a lot of different small pieces, these incorporated versus is incorporated cities. Like Louisville has several different small incorporated cities and they operate in a certain type of way, but they must do what Louisville and Jefferson County Metro says, and then they must do what the state says. The same way at Amazon. Now we're getting into those different stores that you see and you have to sign that contract to abide by what Amazon is asking for. I have not even gotten to the people that we know that go down here and go work at the Amazon plant. I have yet to get to the people who live in our cities yet, as I'm talking about nation state. We don't even get there until they are recognized as property owners, they are criminals, or we see them in another light. They might be students, they might be a service worker, they may be all these different things. And yes, we are moving them to move some other money. So you're only giving people the bare minimum at which you want them to survive and move through the world. Let's get it. Thank you for that explanation. I hope that enlightens a lot of folks. Man, it's love. So I think one of the things that I would love to to shed additional light on is what the community organizer, how, like how you got there. How did you become a community organizer? What does that look like? And speak a little bit to the need for and the lack of in Southern Indiana. I, I, we did have this conversation beforehand and I loved it because a lot of people feel like, um, and we always say it in families too, like people need support. And the reason why we make sure that we link up with folks, we have our friend structures, we've got our little buddies at work and stuff. And some of the people that get on our nerves, you got to work with them anyway. But um, <laughs> people don't necessarily have to have the tools or the bandwidth all to want to move work. I think uh, Miguel said, what does it take to have agency? And sometimes that agency is just basic awareness and that's activism. So those are what activists are. Mm-hmm. Activists are people who have the bandwidth all, who know that something is a and who want to spread the word or who want to show up and just want to take action. You know, I, you know, they get deep into the organizing piece when we bring them on and they're like, oh, that's, that's not what, I wasn't prepared for that. That's what everybody wants to say. And then they want to bring up their personal time. Well, this is also somebody else's personal time. This is the person who was killed by the police personal time. This is the parents of that person. This is the the wife, the mother of the children of that person or the, the brother of that person. This is also the person that is locked up in state custody who is being ignored when he's raising concerns about the treatment and what is happening in jail. These are the, what is it, 24, 26 women mm-hmm. who were trying to get their voices heard while enduring abuse in state custody. This is also also the people who are homeless on the street. This is also the people who work for the government corporations and want to tell what is happening that isn't fair and isn't reaching the people that we're gloating about and we put on billboards. This is also the people that work at everyday jobs and do not get to go home and see their families at any time. Yes, you are those people. We get it because we are too. And for some reason, they think our success in keeping it together, whatever that means, (laughs) 
<laughs> Trust me, as an organizer, you need to go off every day. I get uh, I get like bad mouth about the way I go off. If I'm not going off, there is a problem. Mm-hmm. So organizers are people who bring things into alignment. We just don't do events. We don't just do um, making sure that you have talking points. It takes a lot of research to create something and to keep something consistent so that it builds power. And this entire conversation that we're talking about, and I love that you brought up equity, is the way that white paternalism tells us that power is supposed to be manifested. Power underneath white supremacy is very abusive. It's very demeaning meaning is very sexist. It's entirely um, fascist. And fascist just means because you have not, you don't get to have power. Every freaking body has power mm-hmm. and they have a gift to that power. How we weld that power is the same way we watch. And I have to bring it up. Y'all know y'all talking about Star Wars. Yes. So it's the same way that Yoda be trying to tell people to just, you know, hone it on in. Everything don't need a reaction. And then when it's time to go, you can be more focused and you can go ahead and eliminate your enemy. I just, I like that part. So you are the Yoda. (laughs) The Yoda. (laughs) I am the Yoda. I am not a healer. I am an organizer and I'm strategic about my shit. Mm -hmm. I do not like rushed stuff because somebody always gets hurt. So it's bringing the idea of safety and being proactive. And like you say all the time in the spaces that we're in is we don't move like that. Mm-mm. Like, we don't Mm-mm. move in reaction. We cannot move in reaction. Reaction is based off emotion. And I don't like people using emotion as this tool of, like, imperialism uses emotion, right? Uh, remember when, I don't care about her, but I'm just using the narrative. What's her name? Clinton's right. Hillary Clinton was running. And it, it brought back up these things about women can't lead because they be emotional. Women have led since the beginning of time. We are the birthers. That is a lot of work. There are some things that take place right now in our own personal home that we lead and keep a family together, that we lead at work to keep things together, that we lead in conflict to keep things together because of the way that we see the world. The world in our eyes is very much different. And with all the things that we have to innately do, we can do that really easy. Feminine minds work really, really different. And this isn't a thing about men or women, but what I'm naming is white supremacy wants us to have this binary, this binary that speaks in the masculine as being the overly strong, the overly fearless, and the one that makes these great stern decisions that can happen right away and that femininity is very, very soft and femininity is weak and femininity doesn't know how to make those hard decisions because Because we're emotional. Because we're emotional. So we're we're not going to get on the topic of masculine and feminine energy, but we all have it, both men and women. Both. Number one. So number two, my wife and I were just having this discussion and we were talking about if women were in leadership, Mm -hmm. there would be less wars. That was kind of the premise and I started laughing and I said, if you do the research, we would have more wars because of women. And it's not about emotionality. It's not at all. Right? Because women understand, I, I think, a different level of peace, right? Yes. And so they're willing to fight for it more so than men. Men make men go to war over emotionality. We act like anger mm-hmm. and proudness is not an emotion. Yes. I'm about to crush you on that. Let's go. One, I'm a I'm a full-blown Aries okay. born on the Taurus cups with a Gemini moon. Take it how you want, but yes, very stern horns on my head. We know how to strategize. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get it. We absolutely know how to strategize without really having to make sure that we need to strategize with others, but we will because we know compromise. We are familiar with conflict because we sit with conflict all damn day long. Mm-hmm. 
Conflict is running up in this head. Our ideas are conflict. Um, our emotions are conflict. Time is all the conflict in the world. <laughs> Jesus. Let's go. I mean it. And when we are talking about strategy, it always comes up with conflict for just what you said, because men will be like, no, we're just going to go ahead and do this. And we're like, hey, 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 let's slow it back. Let's bring it back. If we do do those things, then what happens? And and where have we seen this else at? So the the joke, what is it? Women always bringing up something from a long time ago. Hey, I got to figure out where I'm going. Yes. Because some stuff has triggered me and I need to like figure out where my glimmer is. But when we are strategically trying to move something, we are absolutely looking at what has already taken place and where we are going. So when you hear AOC and her voice is a little high, that's, that's the AOC voice. But AOC is naming where we have already been and where you are trying to pull us back from because you want this circle of oppression to continue and to continue. And it builds, it, it got overused in 2014, but you want um, the COVID brain, dang it. It happens. Your thought process and you don't think all the way through something and then you just name it again. Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, okay, there you go. It was coming. I need you to do uh, one more uh, thing. <laughs> Hey, that COVID brain is a joke. Ain't no joke. But cognitive dissonance takes over. And I think that's what happens when men lead. You know what I'm saying? They want to beat out the other leader that's there and they want to be able to outshine somebody. And there's that fame there. And I'm not saying that women don't have that. I'm saying people who do not hold consistency in strategizing absolutely have that. I am always in a space with somebody who wants to just jump off. But I'm also like, okay, I'm ready too. Then what? Mm -hmm. It's knowing the next step. Thank you. I can't throw it action and just be like, this is the action. Why are we throwing the action? What is the action here for? I play a game called Ebony. So shout out to Server 1061 if you're on it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't even, Miguel. Look. No, no, no. Go back. What's the game? The game is Ebony. Ebony. Let's get it. That part, it's an old game, but you know, it's in the commercials that man is trying to get out and you got to pull the keys and there's a mandatory down there. Blah, blah, blah. That's not the <laughs> real game. I just like the fact that you're a gamer. Let's go. I am a gamer. Subnautica, shout out to y'all too. We, <laughs> wait, we waiting on that Number three. No, but uh, look at Ken. <laughs> My son isn't here with me. But it's a war game. It's a war game. And the people who are arguing the most are the women. The men, they make jokes or whatever. They say a few things. But I've noticed in masculine arguments, you know, you can make the shot. You're not holding on to it. The women, I'm going to strategize around that because you brought up something that happened the last time. And then what took place is that we lost. Mm -hmm. So you want us to do it again. And then what does that happen? I'm over here like an organizer, unfortunately, and I keep getting put into leadership with my alliance. Um, And that's just somebody that organizes. I want the people that are in my alliance with low power and we have a nominal power to build their power up. I don't want to be the most powerful in my alliance. Because then I'm absolutely nothing. I'm just sitting over here and I'm a a duck. Mm -hmm, You can see me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens in my real life. People think that everything has to come towards me. I have to move differently. So 2020 came, right? Everybody just thought that I was going to be the person to lead. I was very angry and very emotional during that time because we had already been organizing so many things around COVID. People start copying it. Well, you know, okay, fine. At least you get the message. Now we have more people and this is the way I think. Well, now we have more people doing this work. Yes. I'm not getting ready to say, oh, now they copying our stuff and did it. Everybody's sick. Everybody could die. Thank you. You should have did it a long time ago. But I'm glad that you're doing it now. So let's get it. Yes. What I am going to do is shift. Because then it becomes, the pot becomes too full. Now it's going to overflow. Now you didn't messed up the stove and you know you don't clean up while you cook. So I'm going to make sure that the things that are happening to us get announced because we can't keep fixing what 
they keep making sure that we don't have, right? We can't keep having unemployment and then not be able to teach people skills. We can't keep having hungriness or food deserts or food apartheid and not teach people how to fish. We can't keep saying we're going to have policing in our neighborhoods and not teach people how to be safe. Community care. This You said Huey P. Newton. This is our predecessors. Community care leads to community safety, leads to community defense. That doesn't mean showing up with guns every time. That means we're taking care of ourselves. What does healing look like? Mm-hmm. What does self-care look like? And that's not just a woman thing. Women don't, you know, they go and they don't do anything. And I hate that things do get talked about in the binary. So like everybody that's listening, we are all shaking our heads because it's frustrating doing the work that we do. And you hear something different towards a woman than you hear towards a man. Oh man, yeah, you know, just shave your face or whatever. And yeah, you good, whatever. It'd be all right. Women, girl, you need to take a break. You need to go get a mani and pedi. And it's all these luxurious things. Now I need a nap and I'm going to go take a nap. And that's self-care. Yeah. And we're not going to say that those luxurious things aren't self-care, but they are definitely things that give you time to just sit, rest, meditate, and and get some things off of your own chest because you got to deal with that first. I'm a believer in everything that we produce happens with us first, ourselves first. And so whatever you use in this world, you're just projecting whatever you've already given yourself, whether it's a lie or the truth. And then once we are taking care of ourselves, once we are, are really figuring out how we can do some of the things, because community care is also like, you know, how are we going to get this shit done? Then we have community safety because now we know are prepared. We have more people knowing where to go get medicine at. Because we opened up that hotline for Louisville Community Bill Fund, people were calling us for everything. Mm-hmm. It also became the COVID hotline. I mean, I had so many Google numbers running. I was like, hold on now. I got to separate some stuff. Mm-hmm. And people don't know that that takes time. We are not, uh, every we so old, we always say. South Central Bell, right? I don't Ooh. think some of you young folks understood what it meant to say South Central Bell, but they would come up with a number for that. And so I had to move things around so that information could flow. We could find the information that's organizing, mm-hmm. and then we could get that tool to the community so they can take care of it. I mean, people were calling the LCBF line, ask about how they can get COVID medication, how they can get a ride to the poll, um, how they get a vaccine, mm-hmm. all these different things because they knew we were going to absolutely have the resource ready for them. But then let's speak to that because mm-hmm. when those calls came through, what'd you do? We had a bus who took people to get vaccines. So you organized those things as a community organizer. So talking about Southern Indiana. I do want to interrupt on that. That is not me by myself. Oh, no, 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 no. I I mean, I can name all those individuals who did that work. We collaborate. And that's what I meant by like, I hate saying, the. I'm with you, Miguel, that whole feminine, masculine energy. So I'm going to continue to keep moving it in white paternalism versus maternalist instincts. And these are things that we use in political um, jargon as well. So that white paternalism makes you think that, oh, that one person came up with that. That's that CEO nation state thought. Mm -hmm. When you move in community organizing and um, mutual aid work, you have to take in so many voices and figure out what this looks like. You have to innately, intently listen to people and then be able to pull out what the actual solution is so that it fits so many folks. And that's mm-hmm. what happened. So yeah, when we ride. say you, mm-hmm. and, and I do I do want to name that though, we say you because all of the, the organization that happened under underneath mm-hmm. both LCBF and BLM, I can name those people. Yep. 
but the the heat of it somehow all falls on your shoulders. I mean, they're all like Chanel did this, Chanel did that. I'm like, actually, I know, I know Bookie, and uh, yeah, and, and I think she was doing it. Oh, people know a whole bunch of people's names. Uh, I I don't name people's names here, mm-hmm. but you know, like we work with so many people in so many spectrums of this nation state and within the community to get things done. And to name something that's decentralized, people really think it's like run amok or how we always say yeah, anarchy. Our anarchy is, but people are really focused and and sometimes hyper-focused on what it is that they want to build, that they know exactly who to go to and how to get those things done without having to be these formalized spaces and concepts. I mean, it took us three years to actually incorporate because we really had to detail what incorporation meant to a movement organization. This is not the same as your little Rotary Rotary Club. I'm not, that's not saying Rotary Club is bad. It's just a very formal organization. Okay. And this is not saying anything like ACLU. ACLU is a dope organization. They do exactly what they need to do for people in our communities, but also for, you know, policy work and and other issues that they raise up. Those are formalized organizations and they operate as a nonprofit. That nonprofit status allows them to adhere by certain laws and rules. You can't do that with movement work. Movement work is moving what the people are moving. So the people moving has to happen to have movement. I think a lot of this urban language, and, and I am using urban language, is like, I'm, I started a movement. You can't start a movement. One person cannot Mm-mm. start a movement. Mm-mm. People start a movement. And so then what does it look like to have the agency? I point at Miguel because he brought that up. To be able to continue to move in that. How do I lead myself first? So before you think you're going to lead anybody else, you have to lead yourself first in that work. It takes a lot of education. It is not without reading. It is not without studying. It is not without rest. It is not without the things that we think like a formalized education does. We also have formalized education and we absolutely do not play about that education, especially as a group of people whose history and our current work continues to be erased every day. And so I laugh first when people bring issues to me because I love hearing these stories. They're very creative. What I get upset about is I don't get the memes. Like everybody else gets memes. I don't get memes. You want me a meme? I can meme you. I can design a meme. I I can hook that up. Okay, because I have left the city, gotten married, but also left the city and had a fiance. Um, I bought a car, never got to see what the car looked like. So I need you to try to pick a car that I would buy. And then um, I bought a house in Lake Forest. I don't even know where Lake Forest is at. Oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like Lake Forest, Cincinnati? No, is they're saying no? you bought a house in Lake Forest. Lake Forest is a, is a subdivision, is a subdivision in, in, Louisville. in Louisville. Oh, well, there's yeah. it's also a small part of Cincinnati. Cincinnati. No, it's, it's like a, a wealthy in the neighborhood. Yeah, I hear it all the time. I'm around like uh, I don't okay, know. Okay. So they're saying you bought, <laughs> you have you got married, uh-huh. and you have a house on Lake Forest. Yeah. Well, I I've been to your spot, and right. so I'm feeling very cheated that I was not invited. Oh, to Lake so many people have been to my house for real. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel very cheated right now. You know I, what I'm saying? And, but this is where I feel cheated. Why didn't anybody make the meme so I could see what the house would look like that I would potentially <laughs> buy? Look, if you listen to the podcast, you're a graphic designer. Get out there on social media, find you no help, and do me a favor. Let's throw the memes out there. She, she's welcome. How many people get right? I don't even have that one. I need, I need that one. I need that one. Yes, the, we need that. Y'all go out there and make a meme for Chanel because she, she do the work. She deserves a meme, people. Right? I deserve the meme. Let's give her credit. 
people that have meme has been the right, but it's really a part of their YouTubes. You know, they love a YouTube. Yeah. And it doesn't make me look bad. They get the angry face. I'm like, oh, that's cute because I really think my scrawl is a little deeper than mm. what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and me and Missy are over here being extremely petty because that's all we can do because I really tell our folks, okay, we can laugh and get it out because the work is heavy and the work is hard. Mm-hmm. You are hearing directly from families. You hear people pour out their hearts. You are hearing people inside of jails. When we ran that hotline, we're pretty much burnt out on the hotline. So oh. when we ask you all to volunteer, you are not hearing us just um, say, get on here and do it. We know that it is hard work because we went through it in the midst of an uprising, in the midst of organizing, yes. in the midst of BLM conflict nationally, in the midst of BLM conflict locally. And it's just like, people have the time, but we do not. Mm-mm, not anymore. Not. We don't have the time. And to hear grown men begging on the phone, true enough, we did. We only had a few, uh, less than a handful of people who you knew, right, Miguel, I'm dead serious, you knew was not getting ready to get out. And I'm not laughing like that, but these were some, it, it's some crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm trying to stay very abolitionist. And what Just let it out. I mean, you know, serial rapists, we don't have, I want to name, we don't have support in our community yeah. for those type of crimes. So I'm very serious in this moment. And it isn't that we don't want those people out. And it's not saying that they deserve to be in. No one deserves to be in jail in prison at the current state that it is. Everyone that is listening to this is very scared of going to jail and very scared of going to prison. So are those people. And it's not saying, oh, they deserve it. Nobody deserves the treatment that takes place in jail and prison. Especially in these jails and these prisons. Man. So it... We were talking to people who had very lenient crimes, and there are lots of people in there, non-violent crimes. And everybody loves this whole violent versus non-violent. There were people in there with compl- complacency, and it was just like, so they don't know if you did it or not? They're just going to blame me for it. Tons yeah. of complacencies. Um, everybody was getting assault for for stuff that wasn't even assault. Mm-hmm. And that means you stay in jail, and your bond is going to be higher but also these people are very brilliant and very bright. And we know that. We know a lot of people who have very complex thought processes, do a lot of different things, do, don't fit in to this nation state way of workforce, and then decide to do some old other stuff and, and think that they can yeah. get away with it. The entrepreneurs. Thank you. But they organized inside that jail. Mm-hmm, they did. All 2020, they organized inside of that jail because COVID was taking over and they made sure that they announced the alarm of what those COs were doing to people, mixing people, um, some people people, you know, getting COVID. Yeah. That's bio-warfare to me. Yeah. It, well, no, it, it, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. it is. They they use COVID in that. Let's, mm. mm-hmm. we, we got, we're going to have to wrap Thank up here in a minute, mm-hmm. but yeah, we, we can, that's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so since we do, since Miguel did mention, we have to wrap up in a little bit. I do, I want to ask specifically about Southern Indiana. So mm-hmm. a lot that we're talking about, everything that we're talking about comes out of, out of Louisville. Mm. And okay. in Southern Indiana, which is the community we're speaking to, there is a there's a vacuum. We don't have we don't have this position. What does it look like if someone wants to become this? What do they do? And also, how do they put food on the table in this work? Right. So I think um, another thing about anarchism and the work that movement does is to help us remember that at heart, where we are, right? So the biggest part of our movement is acknowledging that we are organizing on land of people who were decimated. And I use those words because they were, and that there are no borders (laughs) anywhere that we create these borders, these political lines. And so that's all that exists. I mean, the only biggest border that exists between Indiana is a river. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we say Kentuckiana, we bring that with us in our movement spaces. We let people know that this isn't just Louisville work because it's not. We get people from Oldham County. We get people, we get, man, y'all white people be tearing us up in our email and it's nothing negative. I mean, they be telling on folks and we be like, dang, y'all really think we can do 
some shit, but um, <laughs> we try to help people move to organizing. So here's your next step. You know, contact us when you have at least five people who are ready to really talk about this and really want to move with that agency so that we know that we're not going down there leading anything. We appreciate the invite. Organizers, organizers appreciate the invite because it's just a part of principalship. Mm-hmm. We cannot, and people should not, just drop down on folks and just tell them what they're getting ready to do and how they're getting ready to do it because there's an entire historical context that comes with the way that people need to fight for justice anywhere, regardless of what that justice is. I'm not going to be able to drop down in Jackson, Mississippi, even though those are our partners down there, Mm -hmm. because I don't know the historical legacy that well to be like, well, let's fight for this, but let's fight for that, right? I did not go to Flint and I did not go to St. Louis initially and I did not go to Chicago and I damn sure didn't have the chance to go to Minneapolis to go and help. I was not asked, but we asked certain people to come to help us move some of these pieces. We do not have to go because there are people already there. Mm-hmm. There's so, people ooh, already here. Can I, can I, so there's Where people, man, I, you, you said something that just, just dope. It just hit me in it. It just mm. hit me straight in the jaw. Yeah. All right. So we, we keep talking. I'm an activist, right? Because WHS said I was. Um, <laughs> and, and I, and I don't, they I didn't love it. So now, so now I claim it, right? Before I, I just would call myself an actor, an advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's cool. I love the roles. So here's the thing. I was just thinking about that, right? So we, we, we've been talking about DE and I, we've been talking about inclusion. We've been talking about, um, all the issues that happen economically in Southern Indiana. I've been here for 18 years and I've been f- debating this stuff for, for 18 years. And, and it's neat because in the last three years, I've been talking to folks about, you know, how do we implement something that looks like equity in our community for people of color, right? Um, and, and women. And and our community can't define it, right? The organizations, the, the, the people who have agency can't define what equity is. They won't define what equity is, yada, yada, yada. And so I thought recently, I've been seeing recently, which is driving me nuts, of them going outside of state to bring people in to tackle the problem of equity and diversity and inclusion in Southern Indiana. And these people have nothing. You just said it. They, they, they don't understand the culture. They have nothing related here. And I keep saying like, why the hell would you not work with the people who are in your community who are saying, hey, these are the shifts we have to make, but you will keep reaching outside to grab. It makes no sense. But thank yes, you for sharing that. It's networking. It's uh. the nation state. It's the corporation. The same way the corporation will come in and look at a spot and be like, we want to throw the franchise down here or we want to be able to build out your partnership the same way Amazon, people really have got to pay attention to the way Amazon builds, how we want to grab onto your business and make it a part of our entire establishment, our conglomerate. Well, and also the idea of if you're really, if you want to do something on with a label, but not really with lasting change. So if you will say, I want to bring in some, some, we'll do some equity work. You're going to bring someone from across the country who's going to come in here and say some words and then leave because they aren't going to make lasting change. So if you're not really into it to do the work, but you need to say that you did the work, because we know that there is money tied to DEI work right now. And then a lot of companies can't can't get funding if they don't have that. So if you really want to to say, mm, we did it, check check that box, but you don't want real change, bring someone from somewhere else because they're not going to stay here and do this. Like, gotcha. They're going back home. Absolutely. So if, you, if you're listening to the podcast and you're hearing this and, and you're in Southern Indiana, right? Or even if you're in Louisville, like you're, if you're in the Kentuckiana region, you know, and, and 
we're really talking about making real change. We're, we're talking about defining the nature of how we change our culture so that we can have a better tomorrow. You know, recognize it going outside of the world to bring people into your world to help you fix something that you really don't want to fix, that the people want fixed doesn't work, right? Long term or short term. I so I, I, I got this question before we wrap up, because I mean, and, and, and Missy, you can run. I'm going to shut up. But Chanel, I got to ask this question. Mm. It's, it's two questions because WHAS asked me this during, during, yeah, I keep throwing them out there, right? Because they <laughs> I, they did these interviews, you know, now that we have your attention. Do you remember when they did that? That type of shit. Yeah, okay. So they asked me this question about what what does what does a non-racist community look like? And I hadn't really thought about it because I'm like, I've been, in, I've been in this community all my life and it's never not been racist. And I don't know what a non-racist world looks like. It's like, how do you take away the entire government and start over? And that was in my head. But I was, I'm curious, have you like- Have I ever been to one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. It does not exist in America. It does okay. not exist in, it may exist in the Western world, but the way that we have interfered with First Nation people has really, really um, diminished what we can learn from them. Mm. And they totally live in a space without racism, without white paternalism, without white supremacy, because white supremacy does not exist for them. Once white supremacy is there, they fight. Wow. They fight. What you're seeing that happens in the Amazon, and that was the first thing that popped up in my head, um, what you're seeing happen in the Amazon is exactly that. So you have urban folks who still make sure that they have ties with their natural communities that still live there, that claim their ancestral lands and ancestral people. But you also still have these people who live in an untouched world. What is hilarious, and I don't know if we leave on this part, remember around Thanksgiving, a white man flew over some islands in the, in the South Indian Ocean, and people took pictures of these natives as they shot them down out of the sky and was like, why would they do that? They must have been scared of the airplane. No, they absolutely know their rights as being innate people here, where they live at, and they know what exactly that means when you're coming into their territory. They fight. Mm-hmm. The fight for us has been so muddled and watered down, watered down. It is in like what you named earlier, this indentured servitude to these corporations, this enslavement to capitalism, capitalism that was built off enslavement of black and brown people's annihilation. This is what we look forward to. We are so scared and we have this innate fright, this cognitive dissonance that it could be us next. They don't have that. Because mm-hmm. they notify back. Hey, yeah, exactly. So... Again, like you said, if someone is interested and they're hearing this in Southern Indiana and they're like, you know what, we don't have an advocacy wing. We don't have someone who was organizing a response when it came out in Jeffersonville that over 20 women were assaulted one night. And we don't have someone to hold the feet to the fire so we continue to have that conversation. And in Louisville, when stuff goes down in LMDC, we know that there are a bunch of people watching and a bunch of people who are going to hold someone accountable. And that's something that we're lacking. It is, but you do have the people here. They just don't know how to organize. Mm-hmm. You have activists here, yes. and that's and that's great. When those activists come together, they can build themselves into organizers, but they've got to be able to, to get that education, um, lots of training, a lot of reading, just being able to sit with that. And maybe the action isn't immediate, but they are moving things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came to the press conference, I saw many people willing to activate and represent who those women are. That's power right there. What does it look like? Which is what I was asking as I was talking to people afterwards. What does it look like with folks gathering and making sure that they can hold that accountability over this system? Mm-hmm. Because that system has it. They have everybody. And then who was the next person to speak? The sheriff's lawyer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. his loafers. Mm-mm. And on that note, 
This is Common Conversation. Chanel, thank you for hanging out with You're us. Welcome. This thank is you so a blessing. Oh, well, good. And she likes it. Like, look, look. Like, I'm like Mikey at this, the Cheerios. Um, let's they get it. Let's either. go. No, we, this, we're aging ourselves. <laughs> look, here it is. You know, this is about change. This is about looking at it in terms of through new lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes taking off our old glasses and getting new glasses. It's mm-hmm. also understanding experience. And I love the fact that you you talked about education um, because we have to be informed, right? We have to know true history um, and 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 keep moving forward. So, Missy, any any last words? Um, other than Chanel, thank you so much for joining us. And also wanted to suggest if if you're interested in learning how to do this and not learning how to move work, um, one of the books that we're, we've read all together is We Do This Till We Free Us by Mary yes. Kaba. Um, Super recommend. And also reach out. You know you know how to get a hold of us. Um, and we'll connect you with the we'll connect you with Chanel. Yes, yes. And Chanel, how, how do we how do we find you? You can find me um, on the block. I'm just playing. Let's go. Uh, but you can. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm more responsive on Facebook because they're doing too much with these different apps. But um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, not so much Instagram. Um, and that's about it. All right, let's go. Let's get it. This is your boy, Gail This is Common Conversations. Y'all know how to find us. Um, we'll see you in the next episode. We really appreciate you hanging out with us. And um, if you want to know more, pick up a book. Bye, friends. Yeah, yeah.